This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger, and as you know, well, if you haven't been listening, if this is your first time, you don't know, but I'm telling you now, we are walking through the Gospel of John um, during our time together. We've been doing that for a few weeks now. We're going to take an occasional break every couple weeks. We'll do something different, talk about something else. Um, but I just, I personally have uh, kind of had a renewed love for the Gospel of John this year. And I don't know why. There's nothing specific that prompted that. I just sat down and read it one day again and... It was like I was seeing some things that I had just glossed over in the past. And I thought, you know, I want to dig into this further. So I've spent some time doing that and thought it would be nice to just walk together through this amazing, amazing gospel. We always say, you know, how wonderful the gospel of John is. And, oh, everybody should read the gospel of John when they first pick up the Bible. Um, which I also thought was interesting because John 1, the very first chapter, is very difficult if you're not a believer or if you're a new believer. Um, but nevertheless, it is an amazing picture of our Savior and the most amazing description of the Incarnation ever. And if you want to think on that a little bit more, you can go back and listen to our episode uh, that walked through the first chapter of John. Right now, we are actually already in chapter 6. So ladies, if you haven't read John chapter 6 recently, I would encourage you to hit pause, go get your Bible, read it, and then come back and hit play and we'll walk through it together. As a reminder, we're not, you know, we're not doing anything um, super in-depth here. This is very high level, you know, um, 30,000 feet, kind of looking down, just pausing on different points in the text as we go. Um, if you would like to study it a little bit more deeply, uh, dig in a little bit more, I would encourage you to do that. That would be amazing. Um, and if you would like some suggestions on resources for that, feel free to email me at equippingeve at gmail.com, or you can contact me through the website, which is, you guessed it, equippingeve.com. So let's just jump in, ladies, here to John chapter 6. This is a long chapter, so of course I won't be reading it to you. Uh, you just read it yourself, didn't you? Because you listened and you hit pause and came back. All right, so here we are, John chapter 6, and we have this familiar story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're all familiar with this story. And many of us know and recognize that there were actually probably twice that many people there that day when Jesus fed this huge crowd of people because it notes that 5,000 men sat down. And so there would have been women and children. We, we know that there were um, young ones there just as we look later um, in verse 9 and see Andrew saying that there was a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. So there were more than 5,000 people who Jesus ended up feeding this day. Uh, so he is performing big, huge, visible miracles here. And let's just walk through this. 
And I am actually going to read the first couple verses here just to help us dive in. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Why were they following him? Because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. So people are following him because he's healing people. So he has power. They want to be able to benefit from that power. In verse 4, we have the interesting detail added that the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. And I just think that's an interesting little detail that we see there in the story. And it's obviously um, opening up the, the path here for the coming I am statement that Jesus will make, that he is the bread of life. And then in verse 6, which precedes where we just were a moment ago, Jesus, well, back in verse 5, Jesus says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And verse 6 tells us that Jesus said this to test Philip because Jesus already knew what he would do. So Jesus is testing and teaching his disciples here, and that's what I love. This is a teaching method that he's using, and I think it's fascinating and wonderful that John gives us some insight into this. He's saying, like, you know, don't worry. It's not like Jesus was actually asking. He totally knew what was coming, what he was planning to do, but he's testing his disciples here. And then take a look at verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And just as an aside, ladies, I think this every time I read this, can you imagine being known as like so-and-so's brother? So there's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. But remember, Andrew's the one who brought Peter to Jesus in the first place. And so Andrew's role in the kingdom is phenomenal, uh, just in his own right. And then in the fact that he brought Peter, who was such a huge... Um, impactful figure in the early church in spite of his Peterness. Um, and I just kind of love that description there of Andrew and how John points us and gives us all of these details here, uh, including verse 10 that says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Little details like, oh, there was a lot of grass there. John's describing this for us. I mean, John is a great storyteller. And then in verse 14, we see reality. When the people saw the sign that he had done, that Jesus had created. I mean, this miracle demonstrates Jesus as creator because he had five barley loaves and two fish, and he fed probably 10,000 people. Jesus is creator. And so when the people saw this sign, they believe he's the prophet. Perceiving then, verse 15, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So these people have the wrong desire. They want to make him a political king. Hey, he has power. He has abilities. We can use this. We need a deliverer, a political deliverer, and let's grab Jesus. And of course, Jesus escapes in his Jesus way of withdrawing again to the mountain. And then we get two verses, 16 through 21, another familiar story to us of Jesus walking on the water. And I am going to read this, ladies. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. 
Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And I want to encourage you here, ladies, to not allegorize this text too much. I think some of us have maybe heard sermons in the past um, about, you know, how Jesus comes to us in the storms of life and calms the storm. Now, to be sure, Jesus is with us in the trials and in the storms of life and even ordains those trials and storms of life to strengthen our faith and cause us to turn to him and lean on him. But the reality is these allegories, you know, when you start allegorizing the text like this and using the text and teaching it this way, it fails. Because what if someone is in a storm in their life, but that storm doesn't calm down? And what if that trial doesn't end immediately? You know, the text says that immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Well, what if that doesn't happen? And so we can't be spiritualizing the text in that particular way because it's not a proper application and someone's going to take it too far and then the text fails and then folks feel like Jesus has failed them. And that's just not true. So that's my little caution there in the middle of that story. And then we move on to where Jesus begins teaching um, on this idea that he is the bread of life. Verse 24, we see that when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And that sounds great, right? Oh, they're looking for Jesus. Yeah, but we saw why they were looking for Jesus before. In verse 26, Jesus is very clear. He knows their hearts and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And then he says, the son of man will give this food to you. And ladies, this here in verse 27 is again the gospel. We see Jesus so much in the gospel of John. We see him so often giving the gospel in different ways, um, different words, but it's all the good news. And it's all about the fact that you need to turn to him for salvation and for eternal life. And we see that again there in 27. And then we move on and we see in verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Remember again, John's purpose statement at the end of his gospel and why he recorded the miracles and words of Jesus that he did so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. Verse 30, they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? They want a sign. They want to see something. But again, John wrote these things so that we may believe. These people are living these things and they're not believing. They want more than feeding that massive crowd of people. What more could you possibly want? Verse 35, then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a proclamation. Jesus is better than the manna in the wilderness. 
Verse 37, he says, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And then we move into a couple of verses that are just absolutely loaded. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So like I said, ladies, there's so much here. Like it or not, the Father gives us to Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 37. If you have been chosen, you will be saved. Election is a reality that's in Scripture. And Christ will not turn anyone away and will not lose anyone who's been given to him. It is the Father's will, and Jesus will do it because they share the same will, because they are both God. In verse 39, he says that he will lose nothing and will raise it up on the last day. This is this promise of eternity, and we see him say this like three times here in the text as we go on. And then verse 40, we have that gospel again. This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. More gospel. But that's not good enough. That's not good enough for the Jews. They're grumbling about him because he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They're grumbling about these claims to deity. They're like, well, wait a minute. We know his father and his mother. How can you say he came from heaven? And Jesus is like, listen, don't grumble among yourselves. I can hear you. I know what you're thinking. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I love this emphasis, this promise of eternity. Skipping over to verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. This is a testimony to the means of salvation. We see it later in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is a testimony to eternal life, to salvation. Physical food sustains our physical life. And the living bread found in Christ is the only means by which we may obtain eternal life. In verse 59, I love how John just puts this at the end. He says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Like, oh wait, he's in the synagogue. And it just, I I love how John includes these little details so that we can get this picture. In verse 60, we see that the disciples are hearing that this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, once again, God's sovereignty and salvation. The flesh is no help at all. It has nothing to do with our decision and the prayer we prayed when we were two years old. This is all about the sovereign work of God in salvation. In verse 64, Jesus is very clear that there are some there who do not believe. And John clarifies, you know, he knew from the beginning who wouldn't believe and who would betray him. 
he knew when he chose Judas to be one of his 12 that Judas would betray him. 65, he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And that's a hard thing to hear. And so many disciples turned away and no longer walked with him. It was too hard. But don't you love Peter's confession? Oh, Peter, he's got it so right. And then sometimes he gets it so wrong. And he's so like every single one of us. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that. I love Peter's confession there. And then Jesus, um, again, clarifies that he knows that one of them is a devil. And that is the end of that chapter, ladies. A fantastic, long, wonderful chapter. So rich with Jesus' doctrinal teaching and just the reality of his deity and of his work and the Father's work and the Father's will that no one would be lost who he gives to Christ and no one will be lost who is given to Christ. All right, ladies, today, as in Equipping Eve endorsement, I am a bit of a germaphobe. Um, freely admit, I walk around with hand sanitizer and sometimes I go through the grocery store with rubber gloves on because let me tell you, people are disgusting and I don't want to touch that screen at the end when I'm checking out my groceries after I don't know. I've seen people do gross things while they're standing there. So um, my endorsement here today, and just as a reminder, I get no kickback. I This is just me telling you things I like, so I'm not getting anything from this, so don't think I am. Um, but if you want a link to anything that we talk about, you can go to equippingeve.com and check out the post for this episode. So t this week, I am endorsing, I am recommending Nano Pure. I guess it's a hand sanitizer. Actually, it's more of a germ barrier. It claims to be a 24-hour germ barrier. And... Um, I try to use this whenever I go out. Sometimes I forget. I use this a lot when I travel, which isn't very frequently, but I had to a couple times in the past couple months. And I use this a lot. Really, you only need to use it, you know, once because it's 24-hour protection, but I'm a little paranoid, so I spray it a few times. But um, fragrance-free, good on sensitive skin. That's my recommendation if you like to keep those germs away or get a good pair of rubber gloves, good box of rubber gloves and wear them through the grocery store. All right, as a parting thought, ladies, these words of Jesus, they are hard words. You know, he's saying, listen, the Father has to draw you. The Father gives, the, gives them to me and I will lose none of those who the Father gives to me. These are hard words. He's saying, I am the bread of life. I am, have come down from heaven. I'm better than the manna in the wilderness. He's saying hard things. How will we respond? How have we responded? Is there any part of us that's maybe like pushing against a little bit of that truth that Jesus proclaims here in this chapter, John chapter 6? Think on that. And until next time, ladies, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.